2: Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. I'm your host here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. And we're on voiceamerica.com. We're on the Variety Channel. So I am always so appreciative to welcome you back. I'm appreciative if you've been a listener and I'm really appreciative if you're trying the show for the first time. The show has really built a community, and we have a pretty strong following now. So stay tuned. I think you'll find the show really interesting, and I'd love you just to give feedback any chance you get. Let me give you some addresses. Facebook is Illuminating Now. That's all one word. Twitter is at sign, Illuminating Now. My email address is Lindsay, L-I-N-Z as in zebra, I. So it's L-I-N-Z-I. 244 at sbcglobal.net. And I also have a website, and that is qualityforlifecoaching.com. So take a look at all of those. The guest today, which I will introduce in a moment, but I'm going to have you take down her site, is sablawoffice.com. That's S as in Sam, A, B as in boy, L-A-W, office, sablawoffice.com. So there's some addresses for you. I again want to say that you can write me personally about anything. You can write personally whether you want to work with me or just talk with me. And again, first thing, complimentary. So no worries on any money if you just want to chat chat about something and Make a decision, but feel free, but I'm also interested in anything you'd like to hear on this show. Any ideas, anything you haven't heard, anything you'd love to hear, and if you would like to be on the show. If you bring some passion and some you know expertise around something that matters to you, then I'm interested. So let me know. There will be a Lindsay's Life Secret, but of course, there will be. So that will show up, and stay tuned for that. Today is part two of a series regarding divorce, and really, I'd almost call it part part three, 226, we did a divorce show that had just phenomenal results and um, ranked pretty much higher than a lot of the others as far as the interest level. So we knew that this is a subject people want to hear about. And so we had last week Sunana Saberwal. She is a well-known attorney in the Bay Area. She's been in the field for a while. I'm going to tell you about her in a minute, but um, I want to just tell you today, so you will stay tuned, we're going to be talking about custody, and we're going to talk about legal issues around this, and it's you know really interesting and I think really relevant to so many of you. Miss Sunana Saberwal, she's enjoyed the practice of law in California since 1990 and been in family law over 15 years. She handles a lot of complexities and cases that include asset division and division of interest and startup companies, complex spousal support issues and custody cases. I have certainly witnessed her and um, known her for many, many years and uh, and refer many clients to her, uh, frankly, because of her ability to strategize with complexity. But she is extremely compassionate, dedicated, and one of, the, one of the biggest hearted people that I know. So it's hard to find that when you're looking for an attorney. So I really want to throw props on that. She has handled general civil litigation, employment litigation, and injury cases. So that whole broad range, you can imagine, that just contributes to her ability to pursue creative avenues, strategies, and and work with different individuals. But on legal representation. She's extremely creative. She has a bachelor's degree from University of California, Berkeley, and a law degree from University of California, Hastings College of the Law. So I am really thrilled. You know, I was lucky enough to get her last week, but here we are again. So Sunana, welcome and thank you so much for being with us on the show a second week.
3: Well, thank you, Lindsay. This is my third show now and I'm finding myself looking forward to these programs. I think yeah. it really helps us to engage, and I think we, we come up with some creative ideas ourselves while we're, while we're doing these shows.
2: I do. I, I believe that. You know, collaboration, it's just a stimulation of thought and two people having it you know, in a conversation where we're both very passionate. I think Sunan and I intersect strongly at the passion over legal and wellness. Um, We we want everyone to be treated fairly and have their rights preserved, and we want people to be thinking about health and wellness and sustainability of an individual or a family or children or couples, and so this is why, you know, last week we talked about non-marital relationships, common law, again, two individuals, we want them to be taken care of, but they can choose not to get formally married, and how does that work out for them, so... If you didn't listen to that, you might want to tune into last week's show. Today, we're going to discuss child custody issues in divorce. Okay, so this is like a huge topic, right? Like, we, we could talk for weeks on this. So let me just say, we're going to give you an overview. We're going to talk about myths, because that's an interesting word that I bet you can all relate to. Everyone checks with each other. Is this true? Did you hear this? Do they do this? You know, so myths that are out there about this process. We're going to talk about how court and parents deal with custody. And let's face it, it is the most heart-wrenching aspect of a divorce. It's the conflict around the children. And then we have to start spending less time and dividing time. That becomes a logistic. It's necessary. We have to get permission from each other, just where you can go or what you're doing or a change in the plan. So, But you know what? All this can be excruciating when you've lived with the freedom to choose things for your kids and you know, not have to be under some rules. Kids often get put in the middle, so often. I mean, I don't know when it doesn't happen, So, but I can't really say all the time, but it's just so often that they're in the middle of divorce conflict. It's a terrible emotional time that everyone is involved in, but the kids are the biggest button that ends up getting pushed, and usually by an angry spouse, you know, kind of becomes a a pawn, you know, something to do with the child. I would also say that often each parent really during this time, I don't care if it goes on for a year, it could be five years later. So some people can pull it together and some people can't, but the parent really wants to do a couple of things that I've noticed through my work. They want to prove their worth to the child because the other parent who they adore somehow doesn't want to be with them or vice versa, but you can understand what I'm saying. They know the child's witnessing that somebody's getting rejected and so they need to really prove their worth. So that's one goal a parent has. And then they also want to tell their story. You know, they don't know what the kids think happened, but they think it's important to tell their story and, you know, what really happened or what your mom did, what your dad did. This is just devastating to a child and increases their pain dramatically. Now you have to shuttle the kids around. And what if you don't live near each other? now it's a big deal. Who's doing what? And the kids have to still go through that. And what about a parent influencing the kids? intentionally? Or what if it's unintentionally? They just, they really want to align with the child and against the other parent. Are there laws for this? You know, does, does anybody care in the courtroom if this is happening? What about conflicts that existed before, you know, religious or ways to bring the child up, certain discipline tactics, homework, extracurriculars, you know, maybe you did or didn't decide um, on the same things, but you lived in a family and things got executed. But now, how do they get handled or resolved when two people really are now in their own way of thinking and the child's in the middle? So when you're going through a a divorce, the first question that really you should ask is how are the kids going to deal with this? Where will they live? What school is best for them to go to? And holidays and vacations, you know, that stuff ends up getting asked almost immediately because it has to be worked out. I just want to say cuz I want Sunana to really start talking because we have this, you know, person who is full of wisdom and uh, a wealth of knowledge. So it's really important to hear her. But I think that people, every person in a family is experiencing trauma and anxiety and stress, and I tend to add panic cuz when you don't know what's going to happen, you're not only with anxiety, you start to panic because you're starting to lose control because you don't know who's going to make the final ruling. And then you're also dealing with sadness and anger and probably most of all, a feeling of helplessness because one way or another, you've got to get all this resolved and you're not sure how it ends. So you're, you've lost control. So I just want to say these are things we need to consider and um, that's part of the health piece that I want you know, us to always be sort of making room for. So Nana, let's just start at the basics. I mean, you know, custody. So uh, people are splitting up. Tell us something about how this even works out. How does a schedule just anything you can tell us?
3: Well, you know, I like the way you put it. You know, the first questions are, how are the kids going to deal with this? Where will the kids live? Where will the kids go to school? Um, How will they handle, you know, how how, how are we going to handle holidays and vacations for them? It really is about putting the kids first. And I think you have to have that mindset when you go into, what are we going to do now? How are we going to divide their time? They really need to be at the forefront of the discussion. and, And what is best for them has to be taken into account. And, it, and it's just hard to do when you're dealing with all those those those, those emotional challenges you just described—the panic, the helplessness, the anger, the fear. It's just really hard to do that because you're dealing with your own emotional baggage. So um, the best thing to do, the basics are really—you know—you got to figure out how you how the kids how you're going to exist going forward. What's going to be the plan for the kids? And mm. the, really, if you can work it out amongst yourselves that is always going to be the best solution, because uh, when when you make agreements, you're more likely to own them and to abide by them. So I say the first thing is to really try to put aside all that other baggage and just focus on what do we need to do for the kids. So that is really the first thing that has to happen. But unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way. There are some Sometimes I'm amazed at what people are able to do on their own without having help from the courts, and other times they can help have the help of a dozen different professionals, and they still can't get it worked out. So you, you know, so, that, so I say the first, first thing to do is to really try try to put your differences aside and make this work out for the kids. But inevitably, and in many cases, that just doesn't happen. So what's the next step then? Well, I think it's important to understand what does, how how does the law prioritize things when it it comes to sharing children. What what are the predominant legal theories that or themes that run throughout the law that the courts try to apply in order to figure out how to share the kids? Well, one of those, and it's actually codified, is in California. It's codified is that the court's uh, primary concern should be first of all for the child's health, safety, and welfare. That's always going to be number one, um, but. Um, The other prevailing theme is that the child should have frequent and continuing contact with both parents. The the law has a very high regard for the children having significant periods of time with both children. Well, I mean, with both parents.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
3: So, and the other thing, and in fact, it's a presumption. In other words, the law says, unless you can show the court otherwise the court feels that joint custody, meaning significant periods of time with each parent, is in the best interest of the child, okay? And you're yeah. going to hear this term a lot, the best interest of the child, because that is really what, what that is the main thread that runs throughout all of the law and all of the thinking about, about uh, child custody issues. Um, uh, there's also... Uh, it 's also assumed that joint legal custody should should occur that means both parents have share the right and responsibility to make decisions about health, about education, and welfare of the children that should Those should be joint decisions okay sometimes parent might get sole legal custody simply because the other parent lives across the country. You know, and that's always a hard thing for that parent who lives across the country. They feel sort of like, well, if I don't have joint legal custody, that somehow makes me a lesser parent. And that's not really the way to think about it. The way to think about it is if you're, if you're in California and your ex is in New York and your child needs to have emergency surgery and there's no way to communicate with the other parent, you know, you would want that parent in California to have, to be able to make those decisions that need to happen. Now, I would say again, of course, in this day and age of having email communications and cell phones and things, I think courts are actually, even in those situations where parents are far away from each other, more inclined to allow even joint legal, um, joint legal orders so that both parents can make those decisions even if they live far apart.
2: What do you think about um, when you talk about you know making medical decisions? I mean, that makes total sense on, you know, is are they going to get braces? They have glasses. They just fell out of the tree and broke their arm. I'm going to get it fixed. I mean, calling the other parent and involving. What if you have a situation where a parent has raised a child um, and really been the predominant caretaker, like the only one to go, in other words, maybe it's a child, um, it has, um, you know, suffered from ADHD or depression or maybe they have asthma or colitis or, you know, they have something. So this parent has really been in tune with how to take them to their doctors, get their medications, make sure they're okay, get them through school, you know, and, and, and the other parent wasn't involved and, you know, whether they were the, didn't want to be or were busy providing in other ways. But, you know, is that considered in the court? Um, you know that one parent can say, "I I am the one who did all this, so I really know, and I'm really connected, and I know the whole team of doctors." And you know, and the other person's never even come to an appointment.
3: I think the courts take that into account for sure. Um, and, you know, that, that could that could be the parent that was a stay-at-home parent who had the time to do those things and the other parent may not. And, and a court can definitely consider those things, especially with a child who has some special needs or some health issues. However, the other observation I want to make about that, and, and I think this happens a lot in these cases, I, I find, you know, it, the stay-at-home parent says, I was the one who was always there. I should get more time with the child, you know, here. She was always at work, traveling, and now they want to have equal time with the child. That just doesn't seem fair. And I I, I have, I have, I think that I think the one way of looking at this is okay. Maybe that person should have spent more time with the child early on. But I I think, um, and I, I can't, I'm not speaking about every court or every judge about this, but I think that many would say, you know, if a parent wasn't involved before and now all of a sudden because there's a divorce wants to be involved more, then the court says that's a good thing, you know? Right. I think everyone would agree that parental involvement is a good thing. And if right. a parent wants to step up the plate and says yeah, I maybe wasn't there as much as I should have, but I am now ready, I want this, I'm going to step up to the mat, I'm going to do everything my child needs, I'm going to be there for them, and, and I'm, I'm going to do that, the court The court's going to want to give that parent a chance to do that.
2: Yeah, they have value, and I want to just—I want to pipe in on a psychological note. You know, this uh, some things I call Lindsayisms. This one's probably too long to call that, so I'll just say it's something I evangelize very strongly. Is that and and look it up in any book. You know, go do your research so that if you don't feel that I'm sharing information that's credible, go find out. But a child before they're even able to be conscious of, of this thinking, and maybe through life they're hardly conscious of it, but in their subconscious, with no question, it is for their brain to recognize their wholeness. That's the integration of the two parents. For them to have total self-esteem, they believe they're half of their mom and half of their dad, particularly in in a case like this we're talking about where people are splitting and, and really, you know, I'm not... Someone who maybe never met a parent might be a different situation, um, which is a whole other set of psychology stuff. But in this case, they know I'm half my mom, I'm half my dad, and I'm lovable. I mean, that's the ideal goal. That's what you'd wish for. So, you know, if, if a parent is trying to make a case in court, I was the one, and not have that other person step up, and I'm backing you up, Sunana, that you're saying, you know, yeah, maybe the person didn't spend as much time. But I want you all to hear me say, if you're in the mix of any of this, you know, don't, don't try to pull the other one away or even imply that they are not the right parent or not a good parent or not a good person because that's half of your child and your child is subconsciously logging. So if one parent hates the other, they log. I guess half of me is pretty bad. And if another parent hates the other two, then I'm not really worth much. And there's lots of studies to show that the self-esteem of divorced children is you know, significantly lower than the nuclear family that stays together. I will say this. I, I don't have the study in front of me. I did do the study and read it that said if two parents split up and treat each other with respect and share properly, that they found out the self-esteem of that child growing up was equal to a child in a nuclear family who never split up. Not less, not close, equal. So it, they decided it wasn't so much the divorce, it's what the parents are doing to keep them away or messages being sent that make the child have to reconsider their own human worth. So that's my little psychobabble, but I had to throw it in there. So continue on, Sunana, with, you know, what, what happened. So the court really values that these parents both get time. That's a really huge ethic that it's, it's you know, both sharing these joint and um, legal and physical
3: well, you know, it's you know, it's incredible you. I mean, it's 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 very uh it's very uh You're right on point. And, and and you know, this is you speaking as a professional and the courts would say that that you're really on point about the attitude of the importance that the court holds for the relationship between the two children, and what I wanted to do is maybe read a half of a paragraph out of a case uh, where a court says exactly, almost exactly what you've you've just said. I just want to put the context of this case into love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it. it was a case where father was disabled and in a wheelchair, and I guess mother was making trying to make a case that he's not able to play sports, you know, to take them to their games, to play sports with them. There are things he can't do, and he shouldn't be the parent who has primary, you know, who has a significant amount of time with the kids. And the court made an observation. And the court said this is a court of appeal decision, um, and this is a, from 1979. <laughs> um, and And the court says this. It says, on a deeper level... The stereotype is false, Uh, you know, this thing about parents not being able to participate in physical activity, sports, this happened to be a a, a boy, I believe. Um, The stereotype is false because it fails to reach the heart of the parent-child relationship. Contemporary psychology confirms what wise families have perhaps always known, that the essence of parenting is not to be found in the harried rounds of daily carpooling endemic to modern suburban life or even in the doggedly dutiful acts of togetherness committed every weekend by well-meaning fathers and mothers across America. Rather, its essence lies in the ethical, emotional, and intellectual guidance the parent gives to the child throughout his formative years and often beyond. The source of this guidance is the adult's own experience of life. Its motive power is parental love and concern for the child's well-being, and its teachings deal with such fundamental matters as a child's feelings about himself. I'm getting emotional <laughs> just reading this. Yeah, his relationships yeah. with others, his system of values, his standards of conduct, and and his goals and priorities in life. I mean, that really says it all. You know, so so it's always really important does. to take a step back and to really think about this as you're in, in, in a battle with your ex-spouse.
2: Right. I, I love, wow. I mean, I'd like a copy of that, and that is... Um, How insightful for a court to be able to speak to it like that. And I do believe, you know, again, in the business that I'm in, in the psychology world that I live in, I see so many and have seen so many kids of divorce and in the middle of it, right after it, 10 years later, the parents still aren't talking. I mean, I've seen so many unique cases. But what's so interesting is I'm seeing the adults who their parents were divorced they're, they were estranged while they, they grew up. So in other words, these adults are trying so hard to work through what has been a lifetime of torture. And and in there's I'm not sure there's any case, I'll just say that, where the self-esteem is not a huge issue in the adult based on what went down in the parenting of, of the divorce or a split. So I'm just saying I can see it at both ends. I see the stress at the young age and I see that if we would take this more seriously as grown-ups and not do this to our children, we, we give them the gift of a far better life so they don't have to sit as a grown-up and talk to a coach about all these sad stories of childhood. So I think that's, you know, that's really compelling and I'm really happy you, you read that. It, it's just, that's like so deep and, and very, very relevant. So, and, and, and what about visitation? Are there rules? Sunana, like, you know, what, if somebody, is that just strictly if anybody's done something wrong or is it just, you know, is there anything around that that's unique? Well, I, I have to say, so, you know, let's,
3: let's talk about if you can't come to agreement, right? I mean, the idea is that parents should know their children well and really be able to come up with a plan, but off so many times we see they can't do that. So then you're stuck basically having someone else make the decision for you. And how this um, shakes out, and it, it really depends from county to county because counties have different ways of doing things. Um, some counties really like to make the default be a 50-half, 50-50 uh, split of time, you know, um, because unless there's, something, it's unless there's something wrong with the parent or there's some other reason why it shouldn't be that way, some courts are just going to say, we're, we're going to give you a 50-50 timeshare. Um, other courts think that that's too onerous for a child to be flip-flopping back and forth. I mean, I think at the end of the day, really Um, a court's going to do what's best for the child, you know, and and there's so many factors that come into play. How old is the child? Is the child able to express some opinion in some way? Um, uh, Is there evidence that the child is having challenges with, you know, uh, being in one place one day and one place and another uh, uh, repeatedly? I mean, uh, no matter where you are, I think, in the state of California, a court is going to pay attention to these things. But I think that as a general rule, there is sort of an unspoken default that the court's like to follow okay so so and and you're going to be usually um in a situation where you're meeting with family court services and they're going to first try to help you work something out Right, and, and 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 hopefully, with the gui- with some guidance from a, a person who's experienced in this, they're going to be able to c- help you come up with an agreement. But again, even even in even mediation, things don't work out. So some counties allow mediators to actually make recommendations to the court. You know, I've sat down, I've talked to the parties, I understand that these are the conflicts they're having, and this is the kind of child they have, and based on that, I'm recommending to the court the schedule should be like this. OK. Right. And that's right. that's usually how that happens. And then from there, it can get more complicated depending on the kind of things that are going on in the family.
2: Right. Which there are so many. We're going to be going off to break in a, in a minute here. And I just and I, again, I have I have actually one little story, which I'll tell after the break. It's brief. But um, but there are so, so many complexities and it's, it becomes really difficult to know how a court would even find out the information needed to. You know, to know how to make decisions around these children because they haven't been living in the house all that time. So, we're going to talk more. We're going to go into some more detail. We've got some really relevant information you're going to want to hear. So, we're going to break. This is Lindsay Levinson, and we are listening to Suniana Sabarwal, our guest today. And we're heading off to break, but please stay tuned because we will be right back.
1: and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Museums
0: are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Are tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's l i n z i 244 at sbcglobal.net. Now back to
2: Illuminating Now. Hi, this is Lindsay Levinson. We are back and thanks for coming back. I really hope that you're enjoying the show. I hope it's a value to you and I hope that it continues to be of value because we have a lot more to talk about. We were talking about when parents can't agree, and that's a pretty that's a pretty important thing to talk about when parents can't agree on how you know a lot of things to do with the children, where they're going to live, or other things too. But just even just where they live, that alone is a huge issue. So, Sunana, take us back into that. You know, so what to what happens?
3: Well, as we were talking about mediation, and and then there's this term recommending mediation, um, and there's also a whole bunch of other things the courts can order people to do to try to get them to come to agreement. You know, one one is to appoint a co-parenting, you know, counselor, someone to really sit down with the people. I mean, when you're dealing with the court system, you don't have a lot of time. These family court services departments with all the budget cuts are strapped. And they're having to deal with a lot of uh, cases, a lot of, um, and they don't have the bandwidth to really sit down with parties and try to help them. Um, so sometimes the court can, if the, especially if the parties have the financial ability, require people to go off with somebody private, you know, that of course is approved by the court and has a proper certification and experience to try to really sit down with the parents, get deep into the issues that are sort of driving the conflict, and try to come up with the with the resolution. So the court can do that. Um, And when things get really uh, bad, when there is such extreme conflict that nothing can, can resolve it, the court can appoint its own expert. In other words, courts are not able to go out and investigate things. They can't. Go watch the kid at school. They can't talk to the children. They can't interview, uh, you know, family members or, um, you know, they're just they're not allowed to do that. So they will appoint an expert to be the eyes and the ears for the court. Um, and that would be a child custody evaluator. And that is, again, someone who's, who's got a significant amount of experience, skill, oftentimes their PhDs, um, who can really uh, conduct testing, psychological testing of parties. If a child has special needs, maybe order something that the child undergoes some tests. They can ask for other specialists to be appointed. You could have an educational consultant be appointed, or you could have a, you know, some other kind of uh, person. If the child has a special needs issue, a, a, a medical professional or somebody else who could work with the evaluator, uh, the court's expert, in order to try to figure out what is in the best interest of the child. Because as I said before, that is the standard. That is what the court is trying to figure out: what is in the best interest. Of the child and it's a pa- it's a it's a package it may it, it is what you know the child needs to have uh, connections with the parents, but the child also has other issues, and we need to deal with those and so the evaluator is trying to figure out a plan that is going to be the best plan for the child and, yeah and, I mean, and again, makes... you lose, Go ahead. you know you lose the control when that happens so Right, because someone else is making decisions for you. Not, it's not you. And and while everybody tries to do their best, I really do believe that these all these professionals that are involved really do try to do the best. You know, reasonable minds can differ.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and so often do when when you're dealing with this because so many different versions and opinions and stories and perspectives are are entering in. So it makes it very difficult and. And, you know, I think that one thing that I would also add that I've just seen this time and time again, I said it's it's so it's it's so huge in the courtrooms that and when I'm talking to clients that are maybe going to court, whatever it is, you know, they're really ready as they prepare themselves. It's to talk about the other parent. They can't wait to go and say. You know, she was in the backyard, and she drinks on Friday nights, and she goes to the grocery store and leaves the little one at home alone, you know, or, you know, he never this, and he has yet to come to one of the events, and he is not involved. He wouldn't even know the name of the doctor. You know, and I just think that, and I may be jumping off, but I'm just listening to all the different... Stories and I'm picturing even an evaluator trying, but people want to tell the story about the other parent, and I think especially in court, but even as an evaluator is going to write up a document that's going to go to court. I mean, I I feel like there's just a true... The judge has heard it all. Like, the judge is not on the he-said-she-said said game show. That's That's not what the judge goes to work to do every day. But, yeah, that's sort of what happens. So I feel like... That's, that's harmful almost. If, if, you know, in other words, I always teach my clients, don't, you know, compliment, find one good thing that the other parent's done at least, and then mostly speak for yourself. I would be a good parent for these reasons. I feel I'd like to spend time for these reasons. I feel I can contribute in these areas, and I think it would be a good choice to choose me for this and this. And she's, you know, been as good of a mom as she could, and sometimes, you know, makes mistakes, don't we all? But this is what I'd like for myself. And I think, if you just focus on yourself and meaning for your child, these are the things I can give my child i don't know what what do you think, Sanana? Do you feel like that shows up a lot in court that parents miss speaking about what they can contribute and give and do and love for their child, and they spend more time talking about the other parent
3: I think that's exactly what happens, and I, I want to say, like you said, the judge has heard it before, and and these custody evaluators are very. Skilled and at, at at figuring out. I mean, they they have the ability to ask people to take a, a psychological tests to try to you know ferret out some characteristics. Like, is this parent more have has more of a does this parent have more of a selfish personality? Uh, do they have um, or do they have a child centered personality? You know, um, th- th- that is one of the things that these evaluators are trying to look for. Um, understanding that. That's not the end of, you know, once the evaluator has maybe figured that out or has an opinion about it, that's not necessarily the end of the story because at the end of the day... Even if you have a narcissistic parent, <laughs> a child still <laughs> loves that parent, and that parent should sure. still be in that child's life, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, the thing about these evaluations is it's not just deciding, like, who's the better parent, and, and they really, I think, try to stay away from that kind of characteristic. I, I think they also are, or at least I would hope, they're also trying to figure out, well, how can we support this family? You know, if this parent is having some challenges in this area, You know, maybe if we assign someone for them—a therapist or a counselor or somebody—to help them, then maybe we can help them with some of these issues, and then they can be that better parent. And the problem is that a lot of times parents get get these reports, which are, by the way, confidential and can only be read by the parties and the, you know, the court and so on. Um, is, is that they get offended somehow, and then, and then, and then they, they feel like the system is skewed, it's unfair because they were actually criticized in some way. You know, rather than looking at it as an opportunity to, well, I have an opportunity now to, you know, help me deal with some of my, my issues so that I can be a better parent and a better person. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, I find that people don't really look at it that way, and I think that you know, if you have a lawyer, I mean, the problem is that lawyers, you know, the, lawyers are always dancing this this sort of between two 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 sides of the fence here. On the one hand, your client wants to hear what they want to hear, you know, and, and and you're there representing them, advocating them, you know. On the other hand, you're sort of objective, and you can actually see what's going wrong too, and and you can either, as a lawyer, choose to say, well. I'm just going to do what my client wants to hear. Or you can say, you know what, sometimes I have to say things to my client the client may not like. But if you develop that trust and respect with your client, maybe maybe they'll listen to you, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think I can think of so many controversies that I I still can say I'm not sure. So let's say it was known um, that there was a bias. Let's say you know, mom has a bias and just absolutely has no tolerance for homosexuality or transgenderism or, you know, but that, but that child is, but dad's absolutely cool with it or religious, you know, um, dad goes to church or, you know, every Sunday or, you know, whatever it is. And it's clear that the child is something that the parent has made blatantly obvious. They don't like, does the does the court care about that?
3: Oh, I think the court care, cares very much about that. Because the court's going to want to su- support a child's self-esteem. And if one parent just can't get off of their, uh, you know, bias, the court's going to have to make that hard decision and say, you know, this, this child just can't spend as much time with you, and, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to go deal with it, and if you can show me you're, you're, you're trying to work on it. Um, and so that you can be more accepting then you know, come back after you've done that and we'll look at
2: it again. Yeah, that's really interesting, which actually before we went to break, I said I had a story which isn't really on the subject. We're ju- maybe jumping, but when you talked about, hey, you know, do the work and we'll take a look and vi- revisit. We were making the you were making the point that it is so important to the court that both parents are involved. And, and I was making certainly from a psychology analogy and you were too, we thought you were reading. So that, you know, it's really important for the child to have both parents and it's important that the court wants that. Um, and I know of a situation where the mother, you know, the, 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 they would split up, but the, the ex could not be quick enough to tell the court that, that she is on drugs and she's a drug addicted person. And, she had to come clean, you know, she certainly wasn't going to purge herself, so she admitted exactly what, and I mean, everyone was positive that would be, you know, the child would be given to the dad, and, and the judgment on that was, no, it's still 50-50, and she was ordered into treatment, and she was ordered, and so certain family players were brought in to help take care during a certain time, from her side, you know but i think that's such an interesting thing and i try to tell again help my clients understand if you think you're just going to go tattle and then then the kid gets to be yours it doesn't really work like that and so that's that's a good example i mean a drug addicted mother you know everyone just went with the assumption well she's not getting the kid and, the, and they felt no do the work come back tell us how it went and custody will be intact when you come back So I just I think that's interesting. And it's sort of the flip side of what I was saying. What if, you know, what if the child has their own things and and a parent doesn't agree? But I think these are all they're all so unique. And what I think is so unique in the court of law is that there's like there really are laws, but then there's total discretion. Right. Isn't it doesn't the judge end up with total discretion in the end? Well, I
3: well not total discretion. I mean, there are always guidelines, and there you know there are, a judge can't abuse uh, discretion. In other words, a judge has to have some basis for making a decision. So, and I think that many—it's not true of all—but there are many um, one, one, family law uh, judges who really, uh, uh, once they get, are given that assignment, really try to educate themselves on some of these issues as, as best they can, um, you know, so that they're more sensitive. Sensitive to some of these issues, Uh, I would wager. Though, I mean, you know, you often see maybe a drug addicted parent losing custody, but that's early on. You know, the court's going to do the safest thing at the outset to make sure the child's protected until the court has an understanding for what's going on. You know, uh, um, before. I mean, I, I I don't think that a court's going to say, well, you know, someone's drug addicted, that's okay. I, I'm pretty sure that that mother had to go through a lot of um, uh, her, hoops and hurdles to show that she was going to, you know, beat her addiction in order yes, to be a did. good parent. You know, yeah. but that's the great thing about it is there's hope, you know, and that the court system can actually help people, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's... so. So often we look at the court system as as being a system that is uh, maybe colder and not not able to help people, but I think that it can, you know.
2: Right. So so let's talk about. I mean, this, and, and I'm not sure if we finished the evaluation, but that was that's interesting. And to me, I'm not sure why. That isn't a sign for everyone. I mean, I do get it, and then financially, there's a huge impact there and a lot of hours spent but i I just rulings are made for a lifetime and and it's just interesting to me that we don't dig a little deeper into each side and everything happening and the child's views and so but it was interesting to hear you talk about that that can be ordered and it does happen, and, you know, getting back something very detailed. What are some of the myths? I mean, because that, those fly around all the time, and I wanted to kind of talk with you about what, you know, what do parents worry about? What are the worries and concerns? Right, I
3: think that um, fathers, generally, they worry that their relationship with their child is not as valued. You know, I think that's a common myth, and, or I think that there are mothers out there who think, well, I'm the mother, so all that gives me a right to more cut time with the children than, than, than father ha- gets to have. That's a myth, and I think that, uh, while I think that in some areas of our state, that might be more the trend, I think that, um it's becoming much less the trend, and, you know, th- if you're if if you can care for your child, the fact that you're male or female doesn't matter. You know,
2: yeah. and
3: that goes back to the what we said before, which is that um, the 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 policy is of the law, and and it's even codified is that a child should have frequent and continuing contact with both parents. Each parent has something to offer the child, and a parent and a child needs both parents. So um, that would be a myth. Um, I guess another myth I hear is, you know, mother doesn't work, so I'll have to pay child support forever and that's actually not the trend in California either. Um, parents are both expected to do their best to try to support their children when one person cannot just sort of relax at home and and, and think that, you know, they're not going to have to uh go out there and try to work and help support their children. So, you know, that's another that's another thing. Um and it may may take a while, it may, you know, it may be a slow process. But um, that is also, I think, another myth. Um, some people think that, that the gender of a judge is going to make a big difference. And, again, I think that that's becoming less the case. I really do. I think that um, that's less the case now. And I think that judges, as a rule, I, I, I like to believe this, and I have also seen it happen myself, is that I think judges really do try to do their best to, um, to make the right decision for, for children.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Yeah. And what about, um, you know, just if if somebody's the one that leaves, like, you know, you hear these myths, you know, don't walk out that door, you know, you're going to, they're going to say you left, so you're never going to see your kids again. I mean, is any of that true? Who leaves is going to make some impact on the judge as far as the child and visitation?
3: Well, um, I think that, so, so, I think short periods of of absence from the home are are not going to make a difference. I mean, I I would say even even a parent who hasn't seen a child for a few months for for one reason or another, uh, they weren't given access or something, they're not going to be dinged for that. Um, I have seen cases where there's been an absence of, you know, a few years, especially if if a child is really young, and that that can be a very difficult process to get back in the child's life. Okay. Especially yeah. if you have a parent on the other side who is not supportive at all and and is 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 you know doing their best to to try to, to to have the child either have some fear of the other parent or you know it's just not supporting um getting a child back into uh, getting a parent back into their lives. And I also think that the process, the process for that itself is very expensive. I mean, you, you can, you see in some of these cases where there are professionals appointed, you know, at $120, $150 an hour to have a visitation, to allow a visitation to occur, occur, a therapeutic visitation to try to get the father and the child back together, um, you know, into a comfortable relationship. And that can just take a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and it can take a lot of money. And it's just really, uh, it's, it, it, it's sad when that happens. However, I think that, um, you know, mostly what we see are people saying, okay, uh, do I let her stay in the house or, you know, do I try to find a way to uh, get her kicked out, you know, or vice versa. Um, That is not the kind of situation where you have to be. Uh, concern that if I get if she stays in the house, I'm not going to get the kids most of the time. That's not going to happen. It's 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 these situations where there really has been an absence for a prolonged period of time, where it, it, it's a challenge to sort of unify the family. It can be it can be a challenge.
2: Yeah. Okay. And we don't. We maybe only have. I mean, the show has a few more minutes, but I want to ask you probably one more question before I have to start to close it up. And I wanted to know: Is there an age that the child gets to say? they get a say in where they live or what's going to happen?
3: Well, again, that's another one of those difficult, uh, there's, there's no good answer for that, only because children, especially younger children, can be influenced, you know. And you also see situations where, you know, parents are feeling terrible um, and they let the children know they're feeling terrible about what's going on and the children start to want to protect them in some way. And so they'll say things because they feel there's a parent who needs to have that said, you know. Right. So, uh, I would say that there's a, a, a ch- children who are, you know, in, in high school certainly have a voice. The court will listen. The court can't yeah. listen to, to, to children's preferences, but always does so with a great deal of caution and a great deal of professional insight, you know, before a court will, will, will really, um, will really listen to a child, and will always have protections. I mean, you don't, take, you don't drag children into court to testify, you know, to someone who's sitting on a bench with, with black robes. You just right, you don't do that. Right. The court's very sensitive to that, and will find a way to, to make it easy for a child to have their voice heard often by having a professional assigned to, you know, to, um, to try to bring the child's voice out.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And thank goodness for that. I mean, I gotta, gotta give the pro, the core props on that one for sure, because it, that's intimidating and probably highly traumatic. And, and yeah, I, so, we're going to come to the close of me thanking you for being on the show. I, I can't, again, we just have more. We're going to have to do more shows. There's so many subjects, and there's actually a lot more things on this show I wanted to ask you. But I need to say thank you so very much for being on this show. You've done this two-part series, and I have a feeling there's more to come. So, thank you so much. And than thank
3: on. you for having me.
2: Absolutely. So, let me just kind of, in the little time we have, as. I may speak a little fast, but I want to say we did talk about child custody today. We did talk about legal issues. We talked about self-esteem of the child and that that should come first. And it's not always easy. It's It, it can be really painful when you are in a heartbreak of your own relationship. But you must understand, you brought the children into the world. They deserve a full potential, full esteem life. And we have to think about that. So I want you to feel free to contact Sunana. She's at S-A-B-L-A-W office, office, sablawoffice.com. And if you want to talk further or you have a unique situation or anything that's particularly complex, she's very good at that. Lindsay's life secret. Children of divorce should not carry your bricks. I want you to visualize that. It isn't, I'm not judging that you're getting a divorce. I'm not saying whose fault it is. It is a bag of bricks. There's just no question about it. But it's better to let go in many ways than to try to cut a child in half, to try to kill their self-esteem. And I don't mean that you're trying to, but you will if you stay and walk around mad to create anger. And because if you're always angry, they always feel guilt and shame. They don't know what created the anger, but they feel guilty and shameful that they can't fix it and they probably could have been the cause. If it, it, they need to believe they're worthy. And all I can say is that they will never think they're getting anything right if you're always in a bad mood. So you need to care the most about your children and you have to think about what you're going to do and say, but love them. Do not steal their future potential. Do not steal their future life by loading your bricks on their back. It is painful for you and you do deserve support, but you have to carry your own bricks through this and you've got to love the children even before yourself on this one. It's their only chance to have a great life. So I hope that you're listening closely to that because there is room for you to be supported. But please, Take your bricks back and don't carry them anywhere near the kids. Next week, we're going to touch on one of the most difficult issues we've ever discussed, the loss of a child. We will hear from a mother who lost her loving daughter, and this will be a two-part series. We are going to talk to Sherry Stoneberger, and we're going to talk about the life that she had with Melissa, Missy she called her, everyone called her Missy, and she had a, a life with Missy that is really special. And then we're going to talk about what happened when Missy passed. And then we're going to talk about how do you go on? What's life beyond that? So that's a tough place to end, but it will be a two-part series. And it's really worth listening to and really worth, I, I can't explain until you hear Sherry Stoneberger, who she is and why you'll want to hear, hear her. Please tune in next week. This is Lindsay Levinson. I am your host. We're on Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. We've been with Sunana Saberwal, Bay Area attorney in Berkeley. And I thank you so much for making the choice to choose this show. It is just greatly appreciated by me. And I hope that you all have a really inspiring week. Thanks a lot, guys. For
1: joining us for Illuminating Now Lindsay's Life Secrets. Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week!